Welcome to Brews Rock. We're Chuck Mountain, a band nestled in the beautiful beer country of North Carolina. Each week, we pick brewers' minds about their brewing philosophy and pick up tricks to bring new life to your home brew. We played at countless breweries and decided it was about time to learn how to craft our own. Rock, your ultimate backstage pass to the captivating tales behind your beloved brews. Get ready for an immersive journey into the craft brewing universe every Friday, where we'll uncover the secrets and inspire you to be part of this extraordinary community. This week, we're taking you up the road to Elkin, North Carolina, to Angry Troll Brewing, conveniently located where the bridge used to be. We had an incredible conversation with Meredith, the head brewer and co-owner, who shared how a blind date ignited her lifelong passion for the craft beer industry. We talked about the significance of recognizing your value and embracing your skills and contributions as a woman in the craft beer domain. We also explored the power of being an empathetic leader, fostering a safe space for your team's growth and development. So grab a cold one and come along as we learn about Meredith's pursuit of hoppiness and the history of Angry Troll Brewing. Let's dive in. Do you want to introduce people to who you are and where you brew, just in case they're not familiar with you and your brewery? Sure. My name is Meredith Gotts, and I am one of the partners and the head brewer of Angry Troll Brewing in Elkin, North Carolina. And how did you get into brewing in the first place? Oddly enough, it was somebody trying to pick me up for a blind date on a (laughs) dating website. (laughs) But I kept turning him down for dinner, and he literally was like, just in town working. I have a mobile canning company. I'm an engineer with Cigar City. And I was a craft beer nerd at the time. So I was like, okay, yeah, I can do dinner. (laughs) He had the first mobile canning company in the southeast of Florida. And we were going to all of these new breweries, helping them get into distribution. And I was a teacher at the time. And just to have a job on the weekends that wasn't dealing with children sounded fantastic. And you get paid and you get the short fills and everything else. I was like, let's do this. So I worked with him for several months and then ended up canning beer for Miami Brewing Company where I lived in Homestead. And I was like, can I bartend for you guys? Bartended on the weekends for about a month. And they were like, you obviously are really into craft beer. Would you like to learn how to brew? And I was like, "Uh, yes. So check. (laughs) Yeah. So I realized at that time I had to leave teaching and it was coming up to the end of the year. And I was like, I started learning brewing on the weekends and still teaching. And the hardest part was going up to your principal and being like, I'm so sorry. Because at the time I was the band director for the entire K through 12 school. So I was running band programs, like all of this other stuff. I was a soccer coach, like T-Saw teacher. And I was like, I'm really sorry, but I found this job. And she's like, if you don't take it, I will. And I was like, noted. So started there for like two, almost two and a half years. And then my best friend had moved back to North Carolina at the time. And Florida was still blossoming (laughs) as a craft beer scene. My mom would 
talk to me on the phone and she'd be like, why are you all upset? I'm like, there's no craft beer here. And I was like, the only thing they have is Blue Moon. And I was like, this is not it. So I ended up calling my friend when I left Miami Brewing. And I was like, I can move home with mom and like be there and figure stuff out. And she's like, come on up. And I was like, okay. So here we are. I took my dog in the car and I loaded everything I could carry and came up to North Carolina back in November 2015. Yeah. It seems like you've done a lot in all aspects of the brewing world, from like canning. I know you worked at Foothills, mm-hmm. correct? Yeah, I was at Foothills for almost a solid three years. Unfortunately, at the time, I started off in their 4th Street brew pub, and I was an assistant brewer there. Then I was moved to Kimwell. Um, started out on production line over there, did cellar, was like, hey, I'm a brewer. Let's get me back into brewing. So did assistant brewing for a while, and then I ended up wrecking my ACL. Oh, no. Um, on Memorial Day. Perfect. <laughs> what a way to... hey. Here we are celebrating. Yeah. And as much as that really set me back, I feel very lucky that Foothills allowed me to actually work in their lab. And so I actually got a really intense education, which I was comfortable with because I'd done a lot of science jobs in the past. Mm-hmm. Getting a chance to really learn like the lab side of brewing like mm-hmm. how do you make sure your beer isn't infected and how do you rapid age it and all of this stuff so I learned really quick and I got a couple of months in with some great people and really felt comfortable on the lab side on how to keep your beer clean and sanitary as you work through the process and so I learned a lot through there and then went back into the brew scene with Foothills but eventually it just became one of those things where production brewing has its ups and downs if you want a solid eight you can get that. I was working the night shift, so working 5 p.m. to 3 o'clock in the morning oh, good times. is brutal. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and lonely, I would imagine, too. It's lonely. My actual, my old roommate was actually the other brewer. So oh, he'd work seller. I would work the brew house. So we had at least the same schedule, but you live a vampire life. And mm. so even the weekends, you're like, I'm sleeping during the day, I'm up at night, not going out, not doing anything. And it definitely wears on you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... I just got to a point where I realized I didn't want to just be a time clock brewer. I was Mm. like, I want to design recipes. I want to have more of a hand in this. Angry Troll actually was interviewing or was looking for an assistant brewer at the time. And I came here and this is the exact setup minus a couple of nice stainless steel tanks that they had. And it's literally the smallest system I've ever brewed on. What do you think the, like in your opinion of experience experience that's my travels like in your travels what are the upsides versus downsides of having a smaller system to work with small systems are awesome if you want to play around the sky is the limit when it comes to ingredients vanilla beans fresh vanilla beans no problem you have so many options when it comes to small things as well as like i need oats you just run to the grocery store i don't need 700 pounds of oats i just need 20 and i've Definitely cleared some shelves here in like Elkin and Jonesville. I'm sorry about the grape juice. I'm really sorry. Sometimes you make a Rattler and you need like organic, fresh grape juice. You're like, thank you. But the ability to play around. Now, if you're trying to run a restaurant or a tap room, I think two-barrel system is you're insane. Mm -hmm. Because you can't brew lagers because your tanks are going to be tied up. And if your beer is good, you will turn your beer fast. And so they actually started off with a one-barrel system, and I think they quickly realized that's a bad idea, and they moved to a two-barrel system, 
<laughs> I think having a small system has also allowed me to be experimental and open those options to people that want to have a custom wedding gear or a custom event gear. I can do that. I don't have to turn them down. And some of the really popular wedding beers that I've done have become staples. Death to You Dunkle was one of them. I did a hazelnut brown ale that sold really fast. And those are just like, yeah, man, let's just, let's do this. And yeah. it's a solid recipe and we run from it. Are you like constantly brewing to keep up here? Are you turning beer over that quickly? So we are actually right now being tied by the horrible problem of not enough cooler space. If you can't keep your beer cold, where are you going to store it? Yeah. So right now I'm on a schedule where at least once a week I'm releasing a new beer, which is fine for me. I got two more beers in the tanks. I got to add strawberry too. And this week we're going to be filling these four tanks. So I will have a lot of beer. It's just tap space and then cooler space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but we have a bigger production facility at seven barrels and my core beers that I've been doing we brew over there and that has definitely helped alleviate the need to like brew. You got to brew now. Go. Yeah. Where's yeah. that space at? It's actually in um, Wilkesboro. It's off yeah. of Curtis Bridge Road. We share space with Stardust Meadery. And oh. so we're right behind that sliding barn door. Oh, cool. Yeah. You go by the jail door. You can see us. <laughs> <laughs> Which came first, the year or? Oh, this came here first. Okay. Absolutely. It was essentially back in... Coming up to 2020, actually, late 2019, I was like, we can move beer, but I don't have time to constantly do yeah, this. The, yeah. So we had an opportunity to look at something in Wilkesboro. So we totally moved into that space. And uh, it took most of 2020 for permitting and everything else to go through, which was fine. Because <laughs> at that point, we're like, we can't move beer right now anyways. But after 2020, and they started easing up on restrictions... We really had the opportunity to let our product shine. When I first came here, I actually came up and tasted the beer blind. Didn't tell anybody who I was. Just drove up here and was like, toot, toot, toot. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that was a big fear of starting this job, too, mm. was like, can I turn this around? Yeah. But I will say that my past experience, and then Foothills in particular, they're popular and they're consistent for a reason. You have things in place to brew consistency. And I think to be a good distributing brewer, you have to have consistency because mm -hmm. people depend on that. Yeah. So I learned that there. And when I came up here and saw the brew process, I was like, I could fix this. <laughs> and, that, and that was, and that was basically the beginning and very quickly turned into me taking over the brewery. Yeah. Well, I know that can be hard too, as a woman going into a space and being like, I know this is not the way it should be. Oh yeah. Balancing that, like, can I tell you straight up, this sucks, this is how we fix it, or do I have to be a little more diplomatic? Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, no, no, straight to the point. I was but, told once that I needed to reword, please sweep a floor. Yeah. At that point, I was like, no. Nope. Um, I was like, hey guys, clean up after y'all. If you could just sweep up right before you're done, that would help me out a little bit because I'm not here 24 hours a day. And it literally turned into, you need to watch how you reword things. And I was like, Okay. Being in a very male-dominated profession, at the beginnings, you're very much like, I'm just lucky to have this, yeah. you know? I feel like I started brewing in 20, like 2013, 2012. It's almost 10 years now. And so back then, you couldn't find any brew books on the shelves. There were no really good forums, especially for people working in the professional field. It was all like homebrew stuff. Mm -hmm. And the bigger breweries were not sharing their secrets. They wouldn't talk to you at all. Yeah. So you're kind of like, okay. 
And I was in a brewery that it was originally a winery. It's all fruit tropical wines. We were on 50 acres of tropical fruit fields. Oh, so we cool. made mango, lychee, avocado, like oh, passion fruit, all types of wines to make the wife happy. And then the husband was like, I want a brewery. But they didn't want to educate themselves on how to do it. They just wanted to hire people and be like, go. So in the beginning, when you're learning, you think everything is right. And then you're like, I'm going to research that a little bit more. And when you start to realize, actually, your theories aren't sound and we should probably try this. That's when I started finding it was more difficult. Mm -hmm. As an owner now and having my staff sometimes come to me and say things like, what if we did it this way? To be a great boss and to be an understanding brewer, you have to be like, you know what? I didn't see it that way. Let's try that. And I challenged them to find more efficient ways of doing things. And sometimes it works out and sometimes they learn a valuable lesson. But I feel like as a woman in this profession, in the early on, in the beginning times, it was tough. Like yeah. dudes were like, all right, yeah, you can watch kegs. You know, I think a lot of it is just keeping your head down and working. And it is definitely work and it is hard and you will get all the grunt jobs. But you have to smile the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the other thing too is like, I'm, people are so up in arms, I feel like over Me Too and then Rat Magnet calling out everybody. But the fact of the matter is it happens everywhere. It happened to me. It happens to everybody. And as a woman, you have to say, do I want to put up with this? Do I say something? And for me, it was very much a, I know how this is going to end. I'm going to go somewhere where I'm respected. And there are plenty of breweries now. And I think so many people are focusing on inclusion and making sure that their brew staff looks like a reflection of their community because mm -hmm. you cannot exclude people from this. This is yeah. something that brings people together, not pushes them away. And so I really felt like as a woman, it's like, hey, step up, take ownership for what you're doing. And when I had the opportunity to buy into this company, I was 100% on board to be like, yes, I want to own what I do. I don't want sweat equity because I feel like it's a poor way. Yeah. Because <laughs> you can sweat as much as you want. And they're like, here's your little 1%. And I'm yeah. like, no, I want equal. I want equal voice in how this brewery is going to be run, especially if you're the person that knows how the brewery should be run. If you're the only person that is brew-centric and knows brewing, stand up and take a voice and say, hey, I'm going to make sure the product that we put out is the best product that we can put out. I'm yeah. not putting out subpar stuff, especially when you're trying to recover a brewery name. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, your first brew festival and they're like waiting for you at the end. And they're like, can we tell you something? I was like, yeah. <laughs> and like locals are like, your beer is not very good. I'm like, hey, how's it going? I'm the new brewer. Give me a few months to blow through this like inventory and things are going to change. And when COVID hit, PBR could not keep up with production. So I had been looking for a great excuse to slide Surrey Cream Ale into the lineup. And people were so adamant that you're not taking away PBR. Yeah. So I proved that to be as light as PBR and not offensive to all the light beer drinkers. And literally, I had people stopping me being like, yo, that beer is delicious. And it just takes that little shift, that little education thing. Mm -hmm. And I think women are good at being like approachable. Yeah. Especially for other women that come into a bar. They're like, hey, how's it going? What do you like to drink at home? Here's my recommendations. I think there's something to be said too for, I know for me, I am very like detail oriented. Mm -hmm. I'm like little things I pick up. I know every, like where your one random sock is in the house. I yep. know all these little things. And men generally tend to be a lot more big picture, which is good. Like, you have to have a balance. But in the brewing world, I think it is important to 
see those little details. And that helps you be more creative, helps you like push things a little further. Yeah, I think um, women are, first of all, brewing was a woman's job. It's a kitchen job. And so when I think of women, as far as like, you're great at multitasking because you're in the kitchen and I got pot of boiling water, something in the oven, the kid over there is crying and I got to get the door because somebody's ringing the doorbell. We're good at multitasking with that. And I feel like I love that challenge, especially on a multi-vessel like brew house system where you're like, all right, I got to mash it over here. This is coming to a boil. Whirlpool's going over to the tank. I love that. Is it exhausting sometimes? Absolutely. Yeah. But I also feel that as women, especially if you cook a lot, like that helps you with recipe building beyond means because you're used to combining flavors in a kitchen and it translates so naturally over to brewing. One of the things that I've been working on with my staff is understanding like the difference between something light and crisp and something malty and chocolatey and things like that. And I always refer back to food because that's common ground. Even mm-hmm. if you're 21 years old and you've never had some of these beers, let's talk about chocolate cake. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. chocolate cake. Yeah. Yeah. I love chocolate, I love chocolate cake. cake. <laughs> and so I think having that ability to break things down and make it a very easy section. That was always something that I got back from people. They're like, when I go to brew classes or homebrew things, sometimes a lot of stuff is like over my head. Mm -hmm. And I was like, a hundred percent. If you're starting out, break it down, put it into like tea terms. It's tea. We're making tea. We're making cereal, like something that is tangible that you have a life thing with. But I think as far as women go, I think we're much better when it comes to working with your team and being sympathetic to things and understanding like, okay, we just did a 16 hour canning run. Please don't come in at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. Let's start at 10. I always tell my assistant brewer, I'm like, this is a job. This is not your life. Mm -hmm. I was like, we have lives outside of this. We control the beer. Sometimes you got to push it and you got deadlines, but I'm not going to ask you to come in at a crazy early morning time and then stay super late scrubbing floors when that can be done in another day. Yeah. You know, because I want to keep them. They're great guys. A lot of bosses, I feel like, are just like irreplaceable. We can find yeah. another you. But there's Anybody something to be said. Floors. Yeah, yeah, any old schmuck can scrub I a floor. Well, but there's something like- to be said for trying to keep people around, like trying to nurture relationships. I think that's been a huge change in the industry as well. I mm-hmm. think before... COVID, a lot of people were like, brewery workers taught the monkey to push buttons, mm-hmm. just go, you know? Yeah. And now it's like, we're getting a smaller team or we're focusing on keeping and retaining our employees because training people to work in a brewery that have never worked in a brewery before takes time, especially if you want to create a safe environment. Mm-hmm. And I have poured four months into training someone and at the end been like, this still is not a safe environment to work. I can't turn my back on you. This isn't going to work. Yeah. You know, not everybody can do what we do. And the pay has to reflect that. Mm-hmm. I get so upset when people are like, I Googled how much brewers should make. And I'm like, are you a brewer? Have you ever done any of this stuff? Do you have any idea what it's like? Yeah. And they're like, no. no. But Google says you should be making $11 an hour. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> this is what you're going to base your pay off of. I can't work here. Yeah. yeah. You have to look at what people do on a daily basis. We're producing a product that people are going to consume. I didn't want to put caustic in here because you might die. Yeah. No. There are just little things like that. On top of when you're a really small brewery, you're the face of not only what's in the brewery, but when you go out to events, you're the face of the brewery at the events. 
So I could be cranky in the fact that I've had to be here for 40 hours this week. And on Saturday, I'm going to be cheerful and pouring beers and they're going to be spot on and you're going to love it. Because at the end of the day, like we're not into big outside distribution. We're looking to bring people to Elkin and allow them to experience this. So a lot of it too is just being like, come on back this way, guys. <laughs> what are ways that you're trying to bring people here with the beer? I know the event space upstairs, like that definitely the, probably mm-hmm. does a lot beers. for bringing people. Yeah, and the wedding beers. That's a, I feel yeah. like that's a good selling point to be like, hey, we have this beautiful space. Also, we can make you a beer for your wedding. And that's like a real good way to just get people to come here just for that. Yeah, and then once they're here, they're cool. like, this place is beautiful. Let's yeah. come back. Oh, that's yeah. what we did. We were <laughs> yeah, like, that's what we we're, we're going to come back. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like the crazy part about this historic space is like Cicely bought this building and it's an old tobacco warehouse. And then it became kind of like a cash and carry for groceries. But since then, it started out with she had a bookstore upstairs and then she leased out that space and that became the restaurant. It was two to two restaurant. And then the partners got together and decided to actually open a brewery. So they opened up downstairs here. And that was originally what angry troll was. And then they bought into the restaurant and we made that merge into all into everything. But Cicely then renovated the back and she made that an event hall. One of our partners is a caterer. So now he's our exclusive caterer. So we literally are your one-stop shop. We have a florist whose business is right here. Oh, cool. So we've got a florist, a caterer, your event hall. Oh, you want private label beer? Not a problem. We can do that for you here. Your one-stop shop for an area for a ton of different things. But on top of that, my boyfriend and I, we invested in property here because Originally, there were no like middle level income housing as far as rents went. So we bought two houses, renovated them. And originally during COVID, we were trying to rent to nurses so they could be right down the street from the hospital. And we ended up turning them into Airbnbs. And so that's another thing that we can offer. I've got a house that sleeps 10 on a historic street, 30 seconds up the road from the venue. So when brides and grooms are like, where's my party going to sleep at? Just go to my house. Hey there, man. Here's the key. Got, a, got another house that's three minutes away, and it's right down the street from where the giant wine festival is every year. So it's also providing places for people to stay when they come up here. A safety aspect, that's great, too. Like, oh, yeah. you can be here, you can drink, you can go to the wine festival. You don't have to worry about, like, oh, is dad going to try to drive home two hours? Put him to bed. And that, and distance was always a really big thing when we talk about bringing people to Elkin. When I started here and realized that beer here was not going to bring people from Charlotte and Winston to come up and try our products, I was very much, let's turn that around. Because this town, the whole excuse is, this town is like 4,000 people. You probably know almost everybody. I see cars all day and I know where you live because I've seen that car at that house. Like I see you at Food Lion, like all of that stuff. So you just inadvertently know everybody in town. From an emotional standpoint, it's hard to think that like people would leave town to go spend their money somewhere else and then think that they would drive back. Like it's 45 minutes to Winston. I do that drive once a week. That's enough at night, at nine o'clock at night. It's dark. Yeah. You know? The whole premise behind this was we're small enough where we can always create something new and different. Before we even went into outside sales, it's like, what does it matter if you've got 12 different brand new beers that are on? That keeps people coming back. Yeah. And so that was the entire impetus of like, just create a great product and let it continuously change. Yeah. And I love it when people are like, man, I missed that beer that you released last week. And part of it was like, you, if you don't come in for a week, you might miss something now. Yeah, you might miss out. Yeah. And FOMO. I- 
Yeah. And I'm not one of those people that's like a hardcore marketing person. And here's all the pictures, 37 pictures of my beer. It's just <laughs> come in and yeah. see Let if you got it or not, yeah. you know? And that's what I like. I like people doing word of mouth. I like being at festivals, having people come back and say, this is the best beer here. And I'm like, that makes me happy. And it's cool. Tell your friends, come to Elgin. Yeah. yeah. You know, where can I get this beer? At my restaurant, my tap room. Come on. Because at the end of the day, like they're spending money in my town. So my town flourishes. Plus they buy a beer from me. It's six bucks that I made. Mm. They come here. It's usually $50 that yeah. they're spending here. They're going to get appetizers, beers. Oh, I like your shirt. Let me buy a shirt. Yeah. You know? So it's like, why not come to my town? Yeah. I think everybody, I think a lot of people now are looking at how much craft beer has changed. Seltzer was a huge wave. Now it's like non-alcoholics. Now it's like low calorie. Now Pilsners are back in. And you're like, oh my God, <laughs> it's a ride. But if you create something for everybody and you create that type of environment instead of trying to take up refrigerated cold space on somebody's grocery store shelf, your town and everybody else wins out rather mm -hmm. than just trying to push space yeah. on a shelf. There's something to be said for knowing your neighbors. Like you said, knowing like, oh, that car, they live down the street at 1405 or whatever. Yep. It's cool to know who your neighbors are and to have that connection, even if maybe you don't do anything but say hi in the grocery store, you still know their face. That's really special. Absolutely. I mean, we're our own school system. So mm -hmm. we have an elementary, a middle, and a high school, and it's all Elkin County schools. That's it. There's a little small school over here, but everybody's kids go together, you know, or even Chatham Mill over here. You're talking about generations of families that my grandfather, my great-grandfather worked there. My parents met there, really? you know? And so for that to leave, something has to revitalize downtown. Mm -hmm. And I think between the restaurant here, as well as so many new businesses have been opening up. The difference between when I was started here in 2019 and now has really made me smile because you can see people moving into these older buildings and making them like really cute boutique shops, paint stores, as well as other places for like restaurants and bars. Mm -hmm. And you've got to revitalize your downtown. Sometimes having a plethora of bars is too much. But they're all kind of like niche. We've got a whiskey bourbon bar. We've got a wine bar with a small yay. At the other end of the street, you've got a craft cocktail bar and then you've got rail yard. So there's all these different places for people to mingle and as well as for visitors to come and check us out. So when I have people staying at the Airbnb, I have a list of awesome places that I can direct them to and be like, check out this ice cream place. Check out this place. And it's just 100% coming back and supporting your town. Yeah. Where did the name Angry Troll Brewing come from? Actually, so there is, or there was, and you can actually see a picture out in our tap room. There was a bridge that crossed right in front of our building. So it ran straight across this wall and it went over the Atkin River into Jonesville. So if you actually are coming up 67, if you go straight, you go into the Yakin River, that's where the bridge actually connected to. So it came oh, over the river. Yeah. And so they actually tore that down I believe in like 2007, around that time. But it ran right in front of our taproom doors. So that's, that's why so they cool. say he took his bridge. Now he's angry. Uh, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> that's why I get the shirt now. When when they burn down your bridge, you build a brewery. Or, yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. it makes sense. <laughs> Turn down your bridge, you build a brewery. Yeah. yeah, that kind of thing. Don't get angry, get thirsty. Yeah. That, another yeah. one too. I love the line, it's conveniently located where the bridge used to be. <laughs> 
<laughs> I actually have that on the back of all my business cards now. <laughs> it's kind of like, yeah. I was like, can we locate where the bridge used to be? And people in Elkin chuckle because that's hilarious, right? Other people are like, what? What, what are you talking about? <laughs> and that's the best part when other people don't get the joke. Yeah. That yeah. makes me like, happier than if someone gets the joke. Oh, yeah. So Chatham, Chatham Factory was known for their blankets. And so the other shirt that says the best thing to happen at Elkin since the invention of the blanket is Chatham Mills during, I believe it was World War II, had the army contracts for wool blankets. So anytime you were down in the trenches and you whip out your wool blanket and stuff, it had a big chubby sheep from Chatham Mill because that was their logo. Oh. Yeah. And it's also on our beer van as a little so chubby old. sheep. <laughs> I do a Scottish wee heavy. It's called Party Kilt. In my head, it's always been a chubby sheep with a Scottish kilt on on a disco floor. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm. And so like I without even communicating that to the marketing guy, he sent me a picture or something. He was like, This is what I was envisioning. And I was like, That's pretty much like, exactly what I was looking at, man. Page. Got it. I was like, Yes. <laughs> but yeah, it's completely bring, you know, trying to always like name beers after either funny stuff, tongue in cheek stuff, or things around Elkin. Which yeah. Is fun. What's been your favorite beer you've brewed here? I know, that's the hardest question. <laughs> that's a really hard question. Well, you can say, what are, what are some of your favorite beers? Okay, we'll so... We don't want to exclude any. I always wanted to brew, like, a brewer's birthday beer, and I finally did it, not even for my birthday, because it was a month <laughs> later. But I turned 42 last year, and uh, I was actually talking to my brother, who's 10 years younger than me, and I was like, dude, I want to make a birthday beer. What should I call it? I'm turning 42. And he's like, 42 is the answer to everything. Checkers Guide to the Galaxy. And yep. I was like, I think uh, we had that when we came here. Yeah, you probably did. Yeah. It was the second time I brewed that beer. And so I brewed it and I double dry hopped it. And I love that beer. And I got to do a whole space theme. And then I even got to go real niche and the pain in the ass thing where it's like you added edible glitter. But I grew up with Choose Your Own Adventure books. Oh, yeah. oh my God. Those so are instead my of favorite. forcing it on people to be like, whether or not you like glitter, you get it. It's, do you want glitter? Yes or no? <laughs> you want a space nebula in your glass? Yes or no? <laughs> so 42 is really fun. I did a Rattler two summers ago that it was just really hot. It was a summery event. We're, I did it for North Carolina Trail Days. It's like, hikers love this stuff. And it went so fast and people have been begging me to like brew that again. But on a two barrel system, you do one barrel batch of wheat, but <laughs> another batch of like sugar water with grapefruit juice. And I was like, <laughs> this is too much. So I will probably bring that back because it was fine. The fruited stuff is always really fun. We do Christmas beers every year. I do a four pack and I always do Christmas cookies because growing up for me, my mom would always make a plethora of cookies and we'd make tins and give them to the neighbors and stuff. So Christmas cookies for me was always a big thing. And I was like, instead of pairing it with a beer, why don't we use those cookies in the beer? And so we do a Biscoff red ale. I take 60 plus Biscoff party pack cookies and crumble them up and they go in the mash. Um, We did one. Another one is iced lemon cookie Mm -hmm. with lots of like freeze dried lemon peel. So you get that really intense lemon with a little bit of lactose behind it. So it's like Mm. real sweet. But then another one that I recently did, it's a series because being in the brewery field for so long, you know, a lot of people that are brewers. Mm. And so I designed a um, brewing with buddies our brew buddies like segment. So I invited friends that have brewed with me at different breweries to come and like, let's create a recipe together and brew something. 
And one of them, my friend Carmen, she makes babka from scratch. So she actually made like four loaves of babka and we ripped all of that up and we did cocoa nibs and brown sugar. And we just kept mimicking the flavors of the babka into the beer. And people love that beer. That was delicious. We did a honey lager. We've done a bunch of different stuff. So yeah, it's hard to pick one just because I get to be so creative. And a lot of them are just really fun and they taste delicious. What are some of the biggest limitations that you have in your space that you want to someday outgrow? (laughs) Not enough cold storage, not enough storage, period. And really with this, I am completely cut off by growing my system by the ceiling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There is nowhere else down here where the ceiling is high. (laughs) So I've looked at a slightly bigger five barrel system. So at least if I got a brew day and I could fill two tanks. Or one of those three barrels and a two barrel would be nice. But that's pretty much the only upgrade that I can do. I've upgraded all the tanks to stainless steel. They used to be plastic. I updated the glycol to where you actually can set things because before it was on or off. (laughs) (laughs) But like, this is not how you do things, guys. Same thing with CO2. I've added oxygen for knocking out. I think the biggest thing that I would love to improve here is the locals and people that visit their knowledge on our craft beer. Mm -hmm. I would love to build a more knowledgeable staff so they feel more comfortable like selling our beer. Some of the old people that have been here a long time never wanted to sell our beer because it wasn't good. And now that sentiment has changed around to where they're like, yeah, that's great. But they've never really gotten that awesome like craft beer community kind of feeling. Yeah. Um, None of them have gotten to go to beer festivals where people are like, oh my God, you're so great. <laughs> so I'm <laughs> walking by like, we don't know that. They're just like, oh my God. Yeah, I mean, we're in Madison and people are like, where can I buy this? And I was like, not out here. I'm like, okay, <laughs> no, you cans. But I think really just creating a more craft-centric community because the more people that come asking for something new, the more freedom I have to be as crazy as I want. I've definitely tried to introduce new things. I like the Vikings. People are like, I don't know what it does, but it's fast. It's awesome. Like, yeah. yum. I also did stuff with thiols. And so we did some Phantasm powder. I did a beer called Mango Ate My Baby. <laughs> and we did <laughs> thiol powder. Mango. We did hop mashing. And then we had added, um, what was it? The Omega, the, the star yeast. So I I just gave it as much thiols as I possibly could. And was like, and it's great because this is wine country. So I literally have people coming off of like wine buses and they're like, ugh, I don't drink beer. And I was like, but wait. Yeah. And all of a sudden you see their face go from disgust to like, oh my God, what is this? And you're like, it's like wine. It's got you good. Like that. It's a little different. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it is a really interesting sciencey nerdy parts. Like we were trying to scrub sulfur out of a tank and I was like, I have CO2 did I can't get this going. And I just went back and was Googling and reading stuff. And I was like, oh, copper. And I had to go around town. There's an awesome little hardware store because it's being a tiny town. There's a hardware store that has the narrowest aisles and has everything you'd ever need. And they had pure copper, like, pot scrubbers. Oh, oh nice. Man. And I was like, yes. <laughs> and I suspended that on some fishing line in a tank. And it totally took the sulfur out in 24 hours. And we oh, were like, so cool. oh, my God, I can't believe that word. <laughs> it was like, it's just that, like, tiny science knowledge you stumble upon. You're like, wait a minute, we save this. Hold on. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that's what I completely love about beer, too. If your process is sanitary, it's clean. You're going to create something. It may not be exactly what you thought was going to come out, but you're going to create something. And that's the one part I love about brewing is yeah. 
sometimes I overthink things. I'm like, wait a minute, they've been doing this for thousands of years. Don't overthink yeah. that. <laughs> but they used to do this in shoes. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Play pots, yeah. no problem. I got no worries. <laughs> So we usually end episodes asking advice for new homebrewers. We'll switch it up this time. What would be your advice for young women and minorities who are interested in getting into brewing or trades or things that aren't necessarily conventionally for them? Oh, yeah. If you're lucky enough to have a homebrew club in your area, I 100% recommend going and at least trying that. If you're non-binary or woman and you're interested in brewing or any part of brewing, whether it's sales, marketing, I want to make can labels. <laughs> There's a great group called Pink Boots. We have lots of chapters around North Carolina, very inclusive, very opening, and they provide scholarships, they provide education, and they have classes, and it's so non-judgmental because you have people that are brewers as well as just, I'm a bartender. Mm-hmm. 25% of my income comes from beer, and now you're in Pink Boots. There's also the Many Faces Initiative down in Charlotte, which is huge. And it's asking people, all minorities, like, hey, are you interested in brewing? Like, you can intern and get paid, which is another huge thing. Being paid for your work. This is not, oh, yeah, we'll teach you how to do all this stuff for six weeks, but you got to blood, sweat, and tear it and no money. I'm like, no, you should get paid for any internship stuff that you do. And then just becoming friends with your local brewery. It never hurts to be like, hey, if you're ever looking for a bartender, let me know. I'm really interested in your product. Like nowadays, it is so much of showing your face and showing up and being present. The social media thing always plays into it, but support your local breweries and they'll want to support the people that work there. Like I don't want to pay somebody to drive an hour and a half. Like I would love it if somebody lived in town and wanted to take more interest in our local brewery. So just ask. Get in people's faces. Be nice about it, obviously. But let us know that you're interested because that's the only way that opportunities are going to come to you. Yeah, just do it. (laughs) That's awesome. I had one more question we were talking about on the way up here. You got a tattoo. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But the story about the tattoo. Yeah. It was when I actually started at Miami Brewing. It was all guys brewing at the time. I was a teacher. I actually looked back at pictures and I'm like, man, I did not have any upper body strength at the time. (laughs) But they saw me and they were like, you are not going to make it in this field. And I was like, yes, I am. And so I had have other tattoos that were hidden as a teacher. Like, don't show my tattoos. I was like, all right, now I'm in brewery. Now I'm like, I can get a tattoo like up front and visible. And so I was like, as soon as I outlast the last guy here, I'm going to go get this tattoo. And it just happened to be like May 6th. Like, oh, perfect. <laughs> this dude left and I was like, Siku de Mayo. I was like, I'm getting a hot tattoo tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> like, watch it and I got this thing and I love it. And it's, you know, when I broke my ACL, I looked at it and I was like, I'm coming back to this. Like, mm. I'm coming back to this. And that for me has been... Tattoo is not the motivator, but I think it's really just saying you didn't let anybody tell you no. You said, watch me. And I think that's really the big thing is there's a lot of times where people are going to be upset in professions, but don't walk away from it. Just find somebody who values you. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, that was yeah. great. Yeah, I'm so you guys want some lunch? Are you hungry? Yeah. Yeah. Hell hungry. yeah. We're always awesome. hungry. Well, I mean. Look at us. We love it. Thanks for tuning in this week and joining us while we explore all Elkin has to offer. 
Meredith is truly an inspiration for me, and I hope her story resonates with other underrepresented groups looking to venture into the craft beer industry. Absolutely. It's all about finding your tribe, like Pink Boots and the Many Faces Initiative. And remember, sometimes powerful motivation lies in the word no. We'll be back next week with more stories from behind the brew tank. But until then, don't get angry, get thirsty. Cheers! Cheers!